Good morning, everybody. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 12. We are continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. And as you're turning there, uh, this part of the story hits a subject that we all love to talk about in church, money, right? Everybody loves talking about money. They love going to church because they talk about money. Church just wants your money, right? That's what everybody says. Well, this, Jesus is going to talk about money, and it's important for us um, to take this story in. It it will poke and prod you. I don't like the way it felt studying this week. Uh, Over the course of my walk with Christ, um, I found that money is an area that he cares about very much so. This is not to take an offering at the end of this, um, but money... Even more so, what you give is one thing. What you do with the rest is just as important. And and we're managers of it all. And when you look at the whole scripture, when you look at the Old Testament, it's like people say, oh, well, the tithings of the Old Testament. It's like, oh, you haven't really studied the Old Testament. Like if you really break down the Old Testament, by the best I can tell, it's closer to 30% that was required of them in all of the giving. And that, if you compare to the New Testament, New Testament giving talks about sacrificial sort of giving. And so Christ requires a lot from us. And I think why he talks about money so much, money, well, see, we operate in money. So it could be cattle, like if we were operating in cattle or grain, um, our resources, this very easily becomes our God, where we go to for comfort, we worship it, we uh, spend time with it, and there's a great danger there where God either blesses us and he wants us to keep our eyes on him, but as he blesses, it's so easy to take our eyes off of him and on our stuff. And so this this portion today is important, and it's it's interesting. We'll look at the context of how it comes up, but we'll pray and we'll dive into the text. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you um, for the gospel of Luke and for the... um, just the recordings of Jesus's life. Um, Father, I pray that as we look at the story, Lord, we ask that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the text. Father, that you would help us to understand what's going on here. Um, Lord, that you would help us to understand what warnings you're giving to us in our lives. And Father, I, I know that I just strongly want to follow after you, that I want to honor you with all that I am. And so, Father, we pray that as we study today, that you would help us to become more like you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you, laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom, no barn, nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot even do a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Father, I pray that you would help me to teach through this text, that I would be faithful to your word, and that you would soften our hearts, Lord. Um, We love you, Father. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. So the story starts abruptly. If we've been paying attention for the last few weeks, it doesn't fit uh, to remind us Jesus was invited in Luke chapter 11, 37 to go to lunch with a Pharisee. He goes into his house. He sits down without washing his hands, doing a ceremonial cleansing. He sits down. The Pharisees kind of gasp like, I can't believe he didn't go through all of the protocol to eat lunch. And as they're thinking this, Jesus confronts them boldly. He attacks the Pharisees on three basically things of of basically being hypocrites, that they're doing all of this stuff externally, but on the inside, they're rotting away. Midway through, one of the scribes kind of speaks up and says, hey, Jesus, you know, like, when you're talking about the Pharisees, you're starting to kind of offend us now. And Jesus says, oh, I'm sorry, did I forget to offend you also? Well, let me talk to you. And so then he says three things to the scribes and basically calls them out for their hypocrisy also, that they were entrusted with the word of God, that they didn't enter in to receive salvation. And not only did they not receive salvation, but they sit there and they block those who are trying to find God. Lunch was pretty much over at the end of chapter 11. I don't think they ate. Jesus steps out. We're told that they began their assault on Jesus, that they're trying to condemn him. And as he steps out of the house, he discovers that not only are his disciples are there, but that thousands upon thousands of people had come to gather. They're stepping on each other. If it was in the news, there would have been people that were injured to say, hey, there was a big trampling of this, all this, all these people trying to see Jesus. And as these people are gathering Jesus grabs hold of his disciples in the midst of this huge crowd. And I believe that Jesus was just in righteous anger to them. 
with the Pharisee's house right behind him. And in verse 1, he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He goes on to explain to them about being transparent, about living your life, fearing God more than others. Verse 4, it says, I tell, to you, I tell you, say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. But I will warn you, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one whom after he's killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Whoa, those are bold words by Jesus. He's sitting here with the Pharisees behind him in this huge crowd. These guys that will ultimately kill Jesus will kill all of the disciples except for John. And he says, you be afraid of the father in heaven because when he kills, he can cast into hell. And then he continues in verse 8. Or verse 10, he continues, says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven him. And so I imagine if I'm these guys, and what we talked about last week, this inclination in our hearts would be, well, Lord, how, how do um, I make sure that I fear you most of all? How do I make sure that I don't blaspheme the Spirit? Like I think a lot of Christians have this fear because... We love God and we don't want to blaspheme the spirit. So we're really fearful like, oh, no, well, what if I accidentally did? And I don't think that's the spirit that's been that Jesus is warning of. He then continues in verse 11 and saying, hey, listen, when they when they the Pharisees bring you before their courts, don't be afraid. The spirit will allow you to speak what you need to speak. This is intense. And all of a sudden, this guy blurts out in verse 13, someone in the crowd. Teacher. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance to me. If you've ever taught, led a group, had children that you're like talking to, you could have this super important conversation and somebody raise their hand and ask a question that's like, were you even paying attention to anything I just said? Like, hello? Like, where have you been? Like, I'm telling you to fear God because he can cast you to hell when he's done killing you. I told you, don't, if you blaspheme the spirit, you'll never be forgiven. And you're asking me, what about my inheritance? Can you divide it up? Squabbling over stuff. And it kind of cracks me up because how Jesus addresses some people, sometimes people ask these random questions and he'll totally sit down and start talking and he'll even dig stuff out of them to make a point then this guy, he's going to kind of essentially blow off. And I think that the reason is because he knows the heart of this man. This, this man has greed, and he's going to address it. Like, you really don't know a family till you see an inheritance being talked about. Like, Steve Jobs died in the, in the recent few. It seems like every newspaper article that I've opened, there's something to be said about Steve Jobs. Now, I haven't heard anything about his will. But I imagine that there's a distant cousin somewhere. Do you think my cousin remembered me? I'm his 16th cousin, 17 times removed. I don't even know what that means. Like, I went to lunch with him like when I was a little baby. Maybe, just like even a, a quarter of a percent would be a lot of money. You see ugliness. Like I sat through a seminar with Elmer Towns a few years ago. And he said that when his parents died, there was, there's three kids in the family. And the arguing over the money just got so ugly that he said, you know what, guys? 
he's a co-founder of Liberty University. He said, I don't want to be in the, like, I'm surrendering my portion because I don't want to be a part of this. And I'm in class going, could I do that? Like, I'm like, that's pretty awesome. But, you know, like, I try to keep my flesh in check. You know, it's like, I don't know. Like, there's some things you got to fight for, right? You know, like, like, this is what the guy's doing. And Jesus looks at him, and I'm cracking up at Jesus' response to him. And I, maybe I'm reading my Southern California surfer background into it. But we're told in verse 14 that he said to him, so Jesus responds to this guy, man, who appointed me judge or arbitrator over you? Like, I just got like, dude, who do you, who do you, who do you think I am? You think you're, you think I care about this? It's kind of funny because Jesus is his judge and his arbitrator and will settle the score in the end. But at this point, he just basically says, dude, I'm, I'm not even going to have this. And then he looks at his disciples and he's going to move into his second warning to them. So if the first warning was in verse one, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The second is this beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. So he gets this picture, like, beware, like caution. Be on your guard is like when you're walking around and you're protecting yourself. You're ready for an ambush and attack. And he doesn't just say greed. He says every form of greed, which comes in all different shapes, sizes, colors, infomercials, houses, clothing, name it. He says be on guard of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. This word life doesn't mean your lifestyle. It doesn't mean your quality of life. It's Zoe, the, the sheer essence of life. Like if you're alive and breathing and talking and communicating, that's life. And so whether you have $10 million in the bank or $1 in the bank, your life is your life. In our culture, greed, envy has been converted to another word. It's called marketing. And I'll never forget when I first joined the Navy. I was 15 days out of high school. After boot camp, I ended up in, uh, on the East Coast, and I walked into one of the exchanges. I think it was an Air Force exchange. And then they had this great thing, AFIs. Like, like a, hey, everybody's entitled to this credit card. And I'm like, this is awesome. You mean just because I'm in the military, I get a free shopping spree? Like, awesome. Sign me up. I don't even know what my credit limit was. But I, blew, I reached it in like 15 minutes with a bunch of junk that I had like no need for. But it was the best like shopping spree I'd ever, like it was just awesome. And then it was like a matter of weeks later, you know, I wanted, a, I didn't have a car. I needed a car. Of course you need a car, right? Everybody needs a car. E1 and up, easy financing. Me and my buddies rolled up. There's an old Jeep. Oh, this is awesome. I need a Jeep. Guys, I got to take care of you. Just a few minutes. Drove off that parking lot within a matter of like 15 minutes with a new old Jeep that was like the, the thorn in my side for many years to come. And this is greed sneaking up that I want this. Well, how am I supposed to get it? Well, we can solve that. It's called a credit card or credit and we'll let you fulfill your whatever your desire is. This is what this is what our culture right now is feeling. Buy a bigger house, build a bigger barn. It's okay. We can work the financing. No no interest or interest only or whatever it is. Well, oh, you only make this much, don't worry. We can play with the numbers and 
And we're seeing this whole collapse of our culture that's chased after greed. Now, as we um, look at this, like, like it, it, this greed, our, 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 what is that word I'm looking for? Covetousness. It, it takes all different shapes and sizes. Like, I'm the biggest, like, I'm so guilty of, like, falling for infomercials. Like, how have I gone my whole life with that, without that knife that can slice a tomato and a nail in half? Like, I really need it. And you guys laugh, but we totally just had a rummage sale. And I saw your junk. Your junk is awesome. Like, Kelly and I fought over a foot-like soaking machine. We decided to take up joint custody of it, and we're rotated every other Wednesday. But there's stuff that it's like, oh, I want it. And you get it, and you're like, I don't even need it. And I know that the stuff we gave wasn't our best junk. That was like our junk that we don't want. We got all kind of junk in the house. And and Jesus is saying, listen, this stuff doesn't satisfy. If you have a ton of possessions, it doesn't increase your life. But before we get into what he's saying in the story, I want to guard against things. See, our culture goes two different ways. Either if you have money, you're evil. Or if you don't have money, you're a leech and you're just like it's money or no money. Sometimes people think having a lot of money is great. Sometimes people think and have a lot of money, it's evil. Sometimes people think having no money is the most righteous thing you can live for. And some people think that not having any money puts you like on the, the, the bottom rung of society. But that's not how the scripture speaks of money and resources. There's pretty much four categories that I see in scripture that the big overarching theme is that they're righteous and unrighteous all through the scripture there are people that have all kinds of money and resources and wealth that are righteous there are people that have money resources and they're unrighteous like already in luke we've seen earlier i forget which chapter it was in but it's like chapter two or chapter three jesus was traveling there was a bunch of wealthy women that were basically out of their own means were providing for them to continue the ministry that they were doing righteous people Then you see the unrighteous and righteous poor. We'll see the story of the the, the widow's might, you know, like a couple pennies. She throws in the offering and she was righteous. And then you see the poor that don't have because they've they've wasted away. They've made poor choices. They've been like they haven't honored God in the decisions that they've made. So money is is really an inert object. It inert, like if you don't deal with explosives, like if you have something blue, a bomb that's blue, it means inert. It won't blow up. It's fake. Like money is just money. Now our heart about money is either good or evil, whether you have or you have not. And so the issue isn't here. This this isn't an attack against a rich man. It's an attack against his attitude towards his wealth. And so the story begins in verse 16. It says, and he told them a parable. So a parable isn't something that really happened. It's a story that highlights a spiritual sort of truth. Saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. So here you have this man. He's very rich. Not only is he rich, but suddenly he has a bumper crop. See, I'm not a farmer, but I've heard that a bumper crop is like when all of a sudden, like things go really good and you like triple or quadruple what you would normally make. So far, the story's not bad. But before we go any further, I want to stop because 
See, our tendency is to not put ourselves in the rich man's shoes. If, if we were to pool all of our money together and create one person with everybody in this room's money, assets, and just created one person, and you can pretend that that's you. Like, that's yeah, you. You're the really rich one. You would still think, well, so-and-so has $1 more than me, so this is aimed towards him. Or, I mean, you take all of our money, and certainly Bill Gates has way more. You could probably times us by infinity, and Bill Gates has more money than us. All of us put together. What? He still has. What happened? I don't know. Oh, oh yeah, Steve Jobs. <laughs> Steve Jobs had more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I shifted to more keep it current, you know. Um, you guys know the point. But I want to put it into perspective for us. First year, how many people here drove a car or rode in a car to church today? I did. I live three-tenths of a mile from church. I totally could walk to church. I've walked to church, but I drove. Most people in the world don't have a car. Like in human history, the whole car is what? Like if you had a horse and you could ride a horse, that would put you in the upper percentile of humanity wealth-wise. Now, how many of you have more than one set of clothes? Well, that's like a really embarrassing question. I hate clothes. See, I don't struggle with clothes. I go shopping like once every two years. I stockpile up and I wear them until they start falling apart. I'm reaching the moment where my, like if I walk too fast, they could disintegrate. So I've got to kind of slow down because I don't want to go to this grocery or grocery store. Can you get close to the grocery store? Like, hey, great idea. (laughs) So I don't struggle with clothes. But there are a lot of people in the world who only have one set of clothes. Like in Anna and I talking over this, uh, we, you know, just coming back from Spain, when she was a little girl in the church, they, what was the big war in Spain? Like I, the civil war in Spain, the big, my wife's right there. I wasn't calling out Steve right there. That's, uh, yeah. So there's a big civil war. There was all kind of stuff. And she remembers as a, as a little girl, there were two older ladies in the church and they could only come every other week because between the two of them, they only owned one dress. And so they would rotate weeks when they could come to church. We don't know, like, we have so much wealth, even like the poorest people in America have so much wealth. Um, for, I'm pretty much assuming we all have working toilets. We joke and call it a throne, but in reality... Like, only royalty would have such a thought that you could, like, take care of your, like, business inside of a, a home, a residence. Like, in human history, most people can't go to the bathroom in their house. They would think that's ridiculous. Why would you go to the bathroom in your house? You go outside in a hole in the ground. There's a little shed out there. Don't do that in our house. But rich people have toilets. Now, toilets makes me think of running water. Like, we all pretty much have running water in our house. Like, that you can go and wash your hands and put your hands in, in. Like, that is amazing. That's like, we've, like, changed everything that we could have water just flow in. And it's not just, if it was just cold water, that would be amazing. But we have cold and hot and everywhere in between. And then we have a refrigerator. And everybody pretty much has a refrigerator. And if you don't have a refrigerator, it's because you have a little crisis going on. And I could guarantee you, if you didn't have a refrigerator and you were willing to ask, we could come up with a refrigerator by this afternoon to take care of you. And if we couldn't do it between us and Craigslist, we could totally take care of it. 
Like, it's not hard to find. And what's a refrigerator for? It's to store our excess food so that we can sustain ourselves. Now, I'm going to have them shift to a slide. When I was in Mongolia earlier, this is a gear. I remember thinking, oh, it's kind of like this. I stole this from the Internet. I didn't actually walk up to the gear. But don't you look at this and just think, man, that's so nice. Like, it's like green, lush field. Kids could play and run around and not disturb the neighbors. Like, it's kind of, like, to me, visiting a place and seeing this, it's like there's something, like, refreshing. Oh, like, that'd be so nice to, like, not have that. Now, inside of the gear is this is me, and that's our missionary, and this is an elder of the Mongol, one of the Mongolian churches. This He invited us into his gear, and Richard took this picture with his back up against the wall. It, this is everything right here. You have the stove there. There's, like, a little couch that can be a bed. I think about six six or nine people live in this scare. Like mom and dad have their, their mattress on the floor and whoever can fit in the mattress sleeps together. There's no bathroom. There's no running water. And as I'm there and as I'm thinking about this, to me it was like kind of shocking. To, I mean, I've been around the world, so I've, I wasn't like shocked to see this. But in preparing this week, the reality is this is what your average human lives in. Like, this is normal. And so when we, you can go back to the first slide. And I hope that in the point of going through this parable, like that you see yourself as the rich man. Because if you don't see yourself as the rich man, if you give yourself an excuse and you give yourself an out, you're, you're, you're hardening your heart to what God is trying to teach us as Christians. He wants us to grow. And so continuing the parable, you have this rich man. He was very productive. This isn't bad. If you're in business, God wants to bless it. Like, there's nothing wrong with prospering. There's nothing wrong with working hard, earning an income, having your church multiply. That's not a bad thing. That's not the problem. But from verse 17 to verse 19, we're going to see a bunch of times. I want you to just make a mental note and listen for the eyes and the mys in the story because that begins to shed light on the problem. Verse 17, he's, we read, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. The American dream. Like that's what retirement is, right? Like we strive and strive and strive and strive so that one day we can stop striving and just like ease it on out for till we die. Like that's the American dream in many respects. This was a struggle of mine. For in, Like, I'm 37 right now. I walked away from the Navy at 12 years. One of the biggest issues I dealt with was I was eight years from retirement. I could be retiring next year from the military. Like, that's 38. It's a pretty early ripe age to be retiring. Yeah, stop flaunting it, Rick. I'm like, like all the retirees are looking at me like, yeah, it's not so bad. <laughs> keep looking at the story people <laughs> just, but it's like so this like tug of war of like oh if i retired 38 that'd be so awesome and god started really and it's not bad if you retired but for me he had a different direction and i really struggled and see this guy 
He's like, oh, I've attained it. I can just take it easy and rest and not do anything. And I love that, like John Piper just wrote a book here. And it's more like a pamphlet. But he's addressing this American dream thing. And the title of the book is Rethinking Retirement, Finishing Life for the Glory of Christ. And when I read that title, the the image that comes into my mind is George Farrington. Like he's like in his mid-80s been retired since like for a long time but he's not done serving he's still like out sharing and working in his family and because this guy's goal was to like work 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 create his god of wealth that he could worship and that's part of the big issue in our culture right now with the collapse of the economy for many people their god died We've hurt our God, the thing that we worship. So now what do we do? We've got to rebuild our God so that we can have all of our wealth and our security and all our happiness back. My off, I mean, I think that's reality, like in our culture. In verse 20, God said to him, you fool. Like, I love that God can say that and sound so, like, respectable. I call people a fool and I get, people get, I get in trouble. He says, You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? You worked so hard. You did all this stuff. Your aim was just for yourself, your glory days in retirement. But tonight you die. And now you've got to give all this junk to your siblings who, or your kids who don't even know what they're doing. Like who's going to take all this stuff and waste it all away that you worked hard for? Like I don't want to say names, but... There's a difference between the people that are wealthy that have earned it and the kids that inherited it, right? There's a couple. Paris Hilton comes to mind. I'm sure there's a couple more, but I won't go there. But there's this idea. He's like, what did you do this all for? Verse 21, he said, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so this is the problem. This guy is trying to get rich for himself but his bank account in heaven is totally empty. And the more I think about that, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, okay, this guy in heaven, he has like a bank account and he's not rich towards God, but he's rich on earth. That kind of says like, wait a minute. So we got bank accounts in heaven? Like, how does this work? Like, how do we fill our bank accounts in heaven? And I hear Jesus in verse 22 saying, I'm so glad you asked that question. Let me explain it to you. And he said to his disciples, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. So Jesus says, okay, for this reason, for this reason, this guy is bankrupt in heaven. He's rich on earth. I want you guys to be rich in heaven more than I want you to be blessed on earth. And he says, this is how we're going to get there. And in this section, a bunch of times, I think it's six times, you'll see, do not worry, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't, uh, you have little faith. This whole concept of like, trust God, trust God, trust God. And as we lean upon God, as we trust in him, that's like making a deposit in the bank of heaven. And God's like, I got great interest rate, guys. <laughs> like, it's going to be good. Just trust me. And so he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or your body is what you put on. And I look at this. And I don't like this section because I really think I have the spiritual gift of worrying. Like, I am a great worrier. Like, I'm excellent. Like, I can worry about stuff. Like, 
Like not even about today, but I can worry about something like 30 years down the road. Like, wor- like worrying is just comes so naturally to me. Like I excel in worrying. And then when I look at this, he's saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Well, I hardly worry about that stuff. Like I hardly worry about what I'm going to eat. Like I, I've got pretty much today covered. Like even if I didn't eat for the rest of the day, I'd probably be okay. Because <laughs> I ate plenty for breakfast. Like I could miss a few meals. Like I'd be okay. Like most of us could, like we are okay. Like we don't think in terms of like, I'm starving, what am I going to eat? Most of the world deals with how are they going to get food for their next meal? And Jesus is saying, don't worry, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He's going to use two examples here. He's going to point to the raven and to the lily. And he says, verse 24, consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom, no barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Just look at the raven. They just kind of wake up when the sunrise happens. They fly around. They find a carcass or they find some seed and they just kind of nibble away. Do that all day. They go home. They sleep through the night. They don't make any plans and yet God takes care of them. He says, don't you think God cares for you more than he cares about a raven? Absolutely he does. So God will take care of you. He'll meet your needs. Stop worrying. Verse 25. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? I don't know. From what I can tell, worrying only hurts us. Like I heard one guy, I forget, I really should have researched it a little bit better. But he said something along the lines of like, don't worry because when you worry, like and especially if you're worrying about your looks, then it just makes you more like your looks decline even more because then all your wrinkles and stuff start squinting and you're worrying and anxiety. And Jesus says, what does worrying accomplish? Nothing. Well, some would say, well, I worry about everything and nothing ever happens, so worrying must work, right? No. He said, stop worrying. Verse 26, if you cannot even, if you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Like on the most basic stuff, your worrying accomplishes nothing, so why do you even worry about the other stuff? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Like we look at flowers, like I, like I don't, like I'm not a big flower guy. But if we did an inventory, I bet with the girls right now, we'd have a bunch of flowers. How many people are wearing flowers? Like I'm trying to do a little search. So we got one hand up. There's flowers, flowers, flowers. They go to flowers, flower. So we love flowers. Yeah, people not raising their hand. Like we, when we design clothing that we want it to look beautiful, we take God's design and we say, let's put this in clothing. Look how beautiful that is. And he's saying, God does this in a flower in its most glory, doesn't even compare to Solomon, the richest man in the world still to date, I think, was Solomon. He says, we can't compete with what God's designed. And yet God, what he designs, it comes up one day, it's gone the next day. Don't you think God will take care of you? He says, you men of little faith. He goes on to say, verse 29, and do not... Seek what you will eat and what you will drink and do not keep worrying for all these things. The nations of the world eagerly seek, but your father knows that you need these things. See, I read this verse 
And I've noticed that, like, my whole, like, I'm, my whole, who I, like, I'm always in conflict. You know what I mean? Like, we're just, like, God says stuff, and there's times when there's, like, conflict. And the only way to, like, resolve it is to, like, deal with him. Like, I just, for him to give us peace and to walk by faith. Like, I'm a planner. I, like, I'm great at what-ifing. My life is a seal. We what-if every situation. And we don't what-if good scenarios. We what-if bad scenarios. So you take every which way that's a bad scenario, you plan a way to get out of it. And so I'm good at planning for, like, disaster. And I've noticed in the Christian community, when we start looking at end times and the, the situation of this world, I feel like there's a lot of Christians who are doing stuff like based on fear. Like we're going to start stockpiling stuff because when the end comes, we're going to have to depend on ourselves. But when I read this verse, do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink and, and do not keep worrying. Like that God knows, like if the whole world has a nuclear meltdown or an earthquake that takes out everybody, God's still God and God can still provide for us. But then on the other side of things, I think, well, but God also wants me to prepare. Proverbs, look to the ant who gathers. And we can talk about ants in Valley Center because I'm having a brutal year. I'm like ready to take things. I'm going to up things, but I haven't figured out how yet. <laughs> but we look at them and they're like, that might give some satisfaction, but I don't know that it would be the... <laughs> But we're to look at them for their result that they st- that they plan, they store, they have a stockpile that when winter comes. And so, so there's there's tension between these two things. But the overarching, whatever we do, wherever we find that sweet spot, we're not to be fear based that we're that God will tr- God will provide. God will take care of us. God, we're not afraid. We trust in you. We trust in you alone. Like this whole, like I, I'm, like I tell you, I'm a worry wart. I told you, out of the Navy, next year I'd retire. One of my biggest struggles, you know, I'm, when I get worrying, what I do is I make lists. Pros and cons list. All of the reasons to stay in the Navy. All of the reasons to get out of the Navy. I had a whole long list of like reasons to get out of the Navy. And then over in the, the, the pro list, I had basically a dollar sign. And I remember looking at that. And I remember God kind of saying, okay, let's see your list, Gunner. Like, not that he's audibly speaking to me, but like, I'm kind of like praying and looking at this, scratching my head. I'm like, well, I see a lot of, okay, well, maybe the reserves will be a good option. Because if I do the reserves, I can still get the dollar sign and still have all of this stuff. But the reserves, sometimes I think they make you work on weekends. And as a pastor, there might be a conflict there. Uh, So I'm really struggling, but that dollar sign, you know, like going back and forth. And I remember God kind of saying, so Gunner, let me get this straight. What I see here is that you don't want to get out of the Navy because you don't trust me to provide for you. Yes, yes, you got it. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you know, like he. And that's how we are because see that that golden handcuff for me. Even though God was calling me a different direction, I didn't trust God to take care because money is more like tangible. And He's saying, "Stop worrying. Do not be afraid." Verse 32, your little flock for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. See, God's not up in heaven going, oh, I got to let these stinking sinners into heaven. I got to give, give up part of my inheritance. You know, Ephesians tells us that we're part of his inheritance. 
Like that we've been grafted into this. And that he gladly welcomes us in. God doesn't take care of us because he's like forced to. He takes care of us because he loves us. And there's no need, no situation that's, that you're dealing with that is out of God's hands. And so then Jesus continues with so, like it's just these last verses. I really, like I, I see myself as a young, rich ruler. And this has been going on for years. And it's a condition of the heart, not necessarily the, the quantity of assets. And he says, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which just do not wear out. It's like, like I've been like trying to figure out a way around this whole thing all week, you know. Like, what's, how do we really look at this? Like, how do we contend with this? You know, we're not taking an offering at the end. Certainly that's not happening. But, but when I look at this, and then this week say, make yourselves money belts which don't, don't wear out. See, I kind of stopped here. And I was like, I spent hours researching money belts that don't wear out. I'm looking in the Greek. And nobody had like further studies on this word. I'm going, what? There's got to be a money belt out there. Like maybe it was made out of like leather that was like fashioned you could put on. And it would last like the L.L. Bean of that day. Because L.L. Bean, if it wears out, you just email them and they'll send you a brand new one. But then if I'd only finished reading the rest of the sentence, I'd figure out what this means. It says an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. So he's saying, get your bank account in heaven because in heaven your money's secure. Nobody can steal it. Nobody can rob you of it like they can here. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so this idea, what I like the overarching theme of what I see in these last two verses is kind of what I see as like an open hand sort of theology. Like when Job lost his whole family, everything was decimated from him. Like songs have come out of what he said. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But as I look at this, like the whole selling your possessions, well, how does that work itself out? If you turn with me over to Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it's the continuation of this. The church had been formed. They'd been going together and, and we see the Christians kind of functioning together and helping each other out. And it says in verse 34, for there was not a needy person amongst them, among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. And they laid them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Kind of starts with, there was nobody without, there was nobody that had a need. And at the very end it says, whoever had a need, we would meet the need. And the reason I kind of bring this up as I'm looking at this passage, Christina Fredericks, you may or may not know Christina Fredericks. You can go back to Luke chapter 12. Christina Fredericks comes to the first service. She has a couple kids. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. 11. Is that the count? Okay, 11. I, I mean, I love them all. I just don't like it, it could be 10 or it could be 11. I don't know. And a few weeks ago, she sent me an email and she said, you know what? I've been like reading through Acts and becoming just like like more and more like convicted about like our stuff, like just stuff. And she's like, you know, I really feel like that I want to start a ministry, but I don't know how to like engage in it. Um, she's like, but as I go through Acts, it was like there were believers that had stuff and then there were people like believers who didn't have stuff that had needs and that they helped meet each other's needs. 
And I, I, when I got it, I'm like, that is awesome. I so support, like, I totally think that's of the scripture. But when I look at this story in Luke and what Jesus, see, it's not, sometimes you're on the receiving end. Like, sometimes, but, but I hate, I don't know about you guys, but I hate receiving. Like, I hate saying I have a need because I am such, like, a self-resilient sort of person. Like, I would rather give than, like, say, you know what? I'm struggling over here. I need some help. And so Christina and Don are kind of working. We don't know if it's going to be like an online sort of thing or like a post, like a bulletin board, but like literally like, hey, it, it not, it's not just stuff, but needs like I have weeds and I don't know how to take care of them. Is there anybody that can help me? Like so that we can help kind of collectively. Because I think that the point of what God wants from us is to realize that our money, our possessions, our wealth is, is something we can either worship or something we can use to worship him with. And, and if we have open hands and we realize that God gives, God takes, we, we, our, any resource, I just want to glorify God with. And so to my, my brain, we're going to conclude here, but, I, but some tensions I see in this story is I think that the, the point of this passage clearly is in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 which says, beware and be on guard from every form of greed. Not even when one has abundance does his life count of his possessions. And when I first became a Christian, I, I, it felt like I had a ton of debt. I don't really know how I compared to everybody else. But I knew that for me, it was like that easy financing had caught up. And it was like, oh man, like the whole credit cards and how do I get out of this? And, and what do I do? And then the pastor started talking about tithing. And I can hear people, oh, here it comes. He's going to talk about tithing. And I'm not talking to you about tithing because the church needs or wants your money. I'm talking about tithing because as a Christian, giving is how, like it's, it builds maturity. And I remember that the, the pastor started challenging on tithing. I'm like, that's like ridiculous. And then we start going into the, are we talking gross? Are we talking net? Are we talking after like, What's deposited in my bank account? Like, because I don't even know. Like, money just shows up every two weeks. And and, and then I like, kind of eased in. And I eventually started tithing. But then as I started tithing, I realized that in the tithing, the giving 10%, that, that it's like the 10% forces you to think about the 90%. Or if you give 11% or 9%, whatever you give, it forces you to consider the rest. And I do believe that that's what God wants. Because all of it's his, we've been entrusted to manage it. And you could be, sli- like there are people who could cut 10% and it, like not even feel it and then waste away the rest of it. But if God wants us to look at the whole package, like no, we tithe, we give. I really believe the Christian's been called to give, not to tithe. I wouldn't use the word tithe, but I, as um, the Bible answer man, who I don't like a lot of his theology, but I like a lot of what he says. He's like the Dr. Laura of Bible. I like, what's his name? Anybody help me here? What? Hank Hanegraaff. And concerning giving, he says something I think is really good. He said, for the Christian, tithing is training wheels for giving, which is so true. Because anytime I start praying about like, like God is really just, he always stretches me to give more. But as I started to tithe, I started realizing like, oh man, I really want to honor God with the rest. And so I need to start chipping away and getting out of this debt because I'm not free to do whatever God wants me as long as I'm in bondage to this, this debt. 
And now the second thing is I, from this passage, I don't think that this passage is calling Christians to lay around poolside, getting your drinks and just trusting God to like, you know, well, God will take care of me. I don't need to work and take care of my family. Like I, it'll all be good, brother. Stop worrying. Like that would be on the one extreme. And I know that can't be true from like the Proverbs 31 woman who doesn't exist. It was somebody that it was not an actual person. It was something that a father was telling a son about this person. But in that, this woman like managed her money, worked, like this, the idea that this was reflected well in God's eyes to the man in first Timothy five, eight, the Bible says the man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than the heathen, the worst than the unbeliever. And so God wants us to provide and to take care of our family and to plan down to the little ant in Proverbs 6, 6, look to the ant that they're resourceful. And so it's how we view our stuff. Like, how do we deal with it? Like it's, Righteous, rich, righteous, poor, unrighteous, rich, righteous, poor. I just want to be righteous. And so whatever God has given to me, I want to honor him in that. And I think the aim here, there's a couple Hebrews 13, five, it says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And so here are the authors again. Be free from the love of money. Our love is in God, and God provides for us so that we can take care of things. 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Paul further unpacks this in Philippians chapter 4. I'd ask you to go there to close with. We're going to end here in Philippians. Now, as Paul, Paul was a wealthy, wealthy man. He came from a wealthy family. There's no question in my mind. He... At the time of writing this, he, he's under arrest. He's suffering. The church in Philippi had sent a gift to take care of them. And Paul's writing a thank you letter and helping them to keep their, um, their focus right. The, it, this passage ends with the famous verse that we all know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We use that so out of context. I see boxers with it. They roll out there to fight on their robe, Philippians 4.13. Guy gives a one punch, and the guy's got a glass jaw and goes down. It's like, oh, brother, I thought you can do all things through Christ who's right you. <laughs> like, that means that you can conquer and divide. and you, That's how we see it, but it's not at all the context of the verse. In Philippians 4.10, Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me indeed. You were concerned before but you lack the opportunity. This is a hilarious verse. Let's just put this in perspective. Next time you're in a car accident or your car breaks down or you blow out your tire and you have to call somebody for help, when you call him and say, you know, I'm so, like, I'm just filled with joy right now, brother. You know, my car was totaled. But it's awesome because you know what? I knew you've always loved me and you've just lacked the opportunity to show your love for me. But now that my car is wrecked, you can come pick me up and demonstrate your love for you. And in that, I rejoice. This is what he's saying. He's in prison. He's saying he knew that they always loved him, but they lacked the opportunity to show it. But now that he's under arrest, their love can be shown. And he's thankful for that. 
I mean, it's, that's the attitude that we're striving for. He says, not that I speak for one. He's like, this is, I'm not saying this because I'm asking for more money. He's saying, I, not that I speak for want, for I have learned. If you write in your Bible, or even if you don't write in your Bible, if you have a church Bible, I authorize you to circle that word learned. I've learned. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, had to learn this trait. That you're not born with it. You learn contentment. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, meaning he knows when the going gets rough and he doesn't have a lot of resources. I have also learned how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. He's learned the secret of like, no matter what life throws at me, like whether I have a lot of money or not a lot of money, whether I have a lot of food or not a lot of food, I've learned to be content. Why is that? Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That in Christ's regard, that's where our contentment, that's where our our peace and where our hope comes from. And as we close, there's a couple, like on a couple, you know, ends of the spectrum, If you're here and you find yourself in great debt and you're struggling and you're drowning, God can get you out of it. God can get you out of it. There's all kind of resources with David Ramsey and all sorts of stuff of helping you to dig your way out. You can get into debt a whole lot faster than you can get out of it. And it takes time, but it's so worth getting out of it. And if God has blessed you in Valley Center, the you know, the, between the median income and the median, where we are in Valley Center, your average person in this area, God, God is blessed or you've succeeded well aside from God's blessing. And for, for those in that camp, we really want to say, like, the, like I, it's a constant. Be on guard. Watch yourselves. Beware and be on your guard from every form of greed. Just, just to keep in check, Lord, am I, am I valuing this stuff more than you? Has this become my God? Like, take that from me. Because you know what? I don't even know how much Steve Jobs had, but how much money did he take into to, to death with him? Zero. Zero. And so this stuff isn't going to, like, we want to build our bank account. And I'm not saying that if you have, if God has blessed you, that's great. Honor God with what you have. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the challenging words of Christ. Father, you know us so well as our creator. And we confess, or I confess, my um, propensity to, um, to be fearful, to worry about this life and these circumstances. And Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, um, to fully rely upon you, that we would trust upon you. We thank you that you provide for us. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us. Lord, as Americans, we are in the wealthiest 1% of all of human history. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be good stewards of that which you've entrusted us with. Father, we want to be pleasing in your eyes. Um, Lord, help us where we've failed, where we struggle, where we have debt lingering. Lord, I pray that those um, who are drowning right now, Lord, who are struggling in this area, Father, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would comfort them, that you would help them to take that next step, Lord, to give them the endurance that they need to, um, to get out of debt, 
and to be freed um, from that bondage. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.